Welcome everybody to my podcast, Big Little Small Talk. I'm Megan O'Hara-Sullivan and I love to talk, but I also love to listen. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Big Little Small Talk listeners. My name's Megan O'Hara-Sullivan. Today I have a wonderful young gentleman whose name is Dom Tulikin. But it's not actually Dom Tulikin, it's Dom Van Hoogenhoek Tulikin, <laughs> or something similar. Welcome, Dom, and can you please pronounce your name for me? So, my business name is Dom Tulikin, uh, but my full name is uh, Dominic Van Hoogenhoek Tulikin. Can you say it again for me, just so that I can appreciate it? Right, yeah. Dom, Dominic Van Hoogenhoek Tulikin. <laughs> <laughs> and... I'll let you know that not even South Africans can say it, so it's okay. <laughs> so what do they call you in South Africa? So we used to make a joke out of it and we used to call ourselves the fun wooden head pelicans. <laughs> <laughs> because of the, it sounds similar? Yeah, because it's fun hoogen hoek, so fun wooden head. And then pelican sounds like pelican and even Australians here will be like, Tulican and they'll be like, oh, Pelican? <laughs> and then we'll just be like, no, Tulican. Well, whenever I look at your name, Tulican, I think it's like a Tadukan, you know, the, um, where the um, chicken's inside, the duck inside, the whatever. Yeah. But, um, it's not that either. Yeah. It's not that either. No. Now, when I first met you, it was because you um, are a disability dance teacher and you've got a company called D-Dance Academy. Yes. So tell me about that. Your normally in a wheelchair and you have this dance company so how did you start that dance company so, and why did you start the dance company well i have had severe health issues since i was 20 years old i'm now 32 um and before that i was owning d-dance studio in toowoomba uh i like the name so much that i try to keep it um, but I, when I was owning that studio, I got really, really unwell throughout the year and no one could figure out what was going wrong. And unfortunately, um, that studio I built to have over a hundred students in one year. And unfortunately, because I got so unwell, I ended up closing that studio. I also took the risk by performing in the end of year concert, um, so they told me if I danced in the end of your concert, I risked become, becoming paralyzed. I took the risk. I woke up the next morning and I couldn't walk. So hang on. You were an able-bodied person. Yeah. You were running a dance studio. I was a full-on athlete. Um, I used to ride to high fields and back every day. I would go to the gym every day. And I would teach about five classes every day by myself. So you started getting unwell. What, what sort of things started happening? So I ended up with a degenerative disc, L3, L4, L5, S1. No explanation as to how I got it. Um, and then I started getting tremors throughout my hands. And uh, it started first just in my pinky and my right hand. And then the pinky hit the ring finger, and then the ring finger hit the middle finger, and then all hand, the whole hand started going. Um, so because it used to annoy me, I just used to strap all three fingers to try and stop the tremors. And then it progressed and it moved to the left hand. Um, and then I ended up with shin splints in both legs. I ended up getting, um, I had to wear a back brace throughout the whole time. I ended up with sciatica. Um, I ended up with severe migraines um, to the point where I had to wear sunglasses in the house and I couldn't handle noise. Um, a whole bunch of uh, like neurological conditions just started kicking into my system and the doctors had no explanation as to what was going wrong. Did they think, Dom, that it was to do with over use of your body in the dance or over being really stressful on your body so um they it took them five years to diagnose because i closed the studio down i didn't want to sell my business to someone else um i teach in a very different 
sort of way. I was, um, the way I got into dancing was I was a severe ADHD kid and ADD kid. And um, I also had speech problems, occupational problems and everything. So I used to go from school pretty much to occupational therapy, speech therapy. Um, and I used to go do that at a special needs school. And because um, I was meant to end up in, in one of those uh, severe special needs uh, schools in South Africa because my disabilities were so severe and um, I it was almost like going from school to school and I was not burning off the energy so it was like going from school to school and then I was still this crazy child at home and uh, a dance teacher called Ruth uh, Jakeman or Ruth Fanner she goes by both names um, spoke to my mum and was just like how about we try dancing and see if that will work because that actually works both parts like I'll be you know teaching dance discipline and I'll also be working all those like occupational you know therapies and everything I'll teach dance balance and everything and hopefully we'll be burning off that energy that Dom will be, you know, be building up throughout the day. And um, my family were very poor in South Africa. However, my gran, uh, Molly, uh, was very, very, uh, well, quite wealthy. And uh, so she offered to pay for me to go to dance. And it was actually really, really um, beneficial for me. And uh, so I started with tap. And I did a bit of ballroom. I love them both. Uh, I can still do both. I'm a street tapper now as well uh, because I just was so into tapping. Actually, a lot of people think I'm a hip hop dancer, but I'm actually a professional tapper, actually. So that's not like a rapper, that's a tapper, as a in tapper. The tap dancing. A tap dancer that likes to like jump onto ladders and tap on them jump on chairs and like slide off chairs and tap on those so pretty much if you think of uh, those professional tappers uh, tap dogs and that that's what I like to do Dom do you think um, with your ADHD and the dancing like apart from the really physical like that tapping was that sort of stimulating yeah very stimulating yeah. absolutely loved it tapping was one of my favorite styles of dance still is one of my favorite styles of dance unfortunately I don't do it often because even with becoming uh, paralyzed a few years ago my legs just don't have that movement and also having my degenerative disc um, it's very very uh, it puts too much impact on my body so unfortunately it's just not a style that I really do and if I do do it it's probably like one dance and then I'm done but um, yes, yeah, so I started with ballroom, then to tap, then to modern. Modern is a small step down from ballet. And my teacher, it sounds funny, and it's she wasn't being strict. She just had this stick, and she would walk around the class, and she'd be like, "Tummies in, tap your tummy. Butts in, tap your butt. Feet together, tap your feet," and like. To most people, that sounds like a really strict teacher, but she would do it in a fun way. And I think that's where I've learned my like fun style of teaching, but I've taken it to like another level where I just have a lot of fun with my kids because I believe in uh, uh, Friedrich Fobel's way of teaching because I studied education. And Friedrich Fobel is... Uh, um, believes in fun the fun method of teaching and I love teaching in a fun way I believe that if you teach kids in a fun way they learn better if you have fun with them they learn better yes you still have that discipline over them and you'll be like hey get your butt back in line you give them like a little you know a little nudge or a little you know they laugh they get you know but if you're on the same playing level as them and you're not, you know, trying to, you know, show them that you're the strict, horrible person, the kids are going to have fun. 
Well, I want to talk about your education degree a little bit later on, but just go back to the 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 part where you go from being an able-bodied person to being in a wheelchair. Yeah, so they took me they took me five years to diagnose me with dystonia. I was one of the first people in Tongva that they did diagnosed with dystonia. So explain to me what dystonia is. It is the second the second neurological disorder down from Parkinson's disease. I uh, have it right throughout my whole body. I also have a very rare form of dystonia uh, where I have abdominal dystonia. And so pretty much, uh, and this is one of the main reasons I need uh, carers because as soon as I eat, my body rejects food and then I contort and distort and my body tries to deform itself and like turn into pretty much if you think of like you know those scary movies where those you know these little things are going all deformed that's what I turn into it's actually deformed my body so my one rib cage is absolutely deformed and my spine is twisting and it does that all the time and uh, it can happen when I'm eating, when I take my tablets too quickly, if I end up constipated, and if I drink water and things too quickly as well. If something's cold, can't have the cold things, I have to drink everything warm. Don't worry. <laughs> you're looking at the just water. You're cold. <laughs> I know, you're looking at the water. I'm just like, it's a bit cold. Um, but yeah, I can't handle anything cold. My body also gets too cold too quickly. I love everything warm which is why my layers are on. Um, so yeah, so they diagnosed me with dystonia first and then they tried to treat me for uh, what's it, my, my severe migraine dystonia with Botox therapy, which is a great treatment for dystonia. Unfortunately for me, three weeks later after my treatments with the Botox therapy, I had a reaction to Botox therapy it triggered a rare gene in my body that was dormant and I had my first mini stroke and uh, so I have what they call hemiplegic migraines except my hemiplegic migraines turn into mini strokes and uh, because of my rare gene that I carry I'm only number two in the world to carry this gene they don't know where number one in the world is and what their disabilities are but all they know about this gene is that it's damaging and disease causing. Tom, how did they know that you're number two and why? So they did a genetic testing and all the feedback that they came because they were thinking okay Dom's having hemiplegic migraines because the one I had was so severe, the first one I had was so severe thank goodness I was in hospital uh, I was there to get results for something else and I just felt half my body start becoming paralyzed half of it was on fire and the other half was like just getting completely paralyzed and I just like went like dragged myself into the emergency like wing and I just looked down and I could see three nurses and the last thing I remember saying was can somebody help me and I fell to the floor and then I remember them trying to help me and I was just on fire on one side of my body and I remember half my body being paralyzed and then after that I had um, left-sided deficit on my one side of my body and my head was tilted to the left for two years and I had to wear a neck brace for two years because my dystonia had attacked my neck throughout the, the um, stroke so, so they where? tested me for hemiplegic migraine gene and it came back that I had a different gene instead and it said that I was number two in the world right. so was your health just obviously deteriorating more and more and more and at this point could you still walk or would you um so um during this time i was also uh, attacked by a customer at my job 
I was working in car sales um, and um, he viciously grabbed me around the back of my neck and pushed my head down towards the vehicle because he thought there was a scratch on it. I was doing a delivery and he destroyed my nerves going down my neck and down my legs and uh, so the migraines became severe and they didn't realize it at the time but he also messed up the nerves going down my back so I slowly started losing my movement in my legs so I um, one day I, was, I, I left that job because I couldn't do my car sales anymore uh, this is when I had moved to New South Wales and then I was doing marketing and the one day I lost movement in one leg and then a few days later I lost movement in both legs. Don, were you frightened when all of this was happening and how were you affording to seek medical help? So I was very frightened. Uh, at the time um, marketing was doing really really well and the bosses allowed me so I just continued working. Um, my marketing job was a very very um, good job for me to do and I just continued working uh, whilst being on a walking stick and then eventually I moved to a wheelchair and then I was working in a wheelchair doing marketing no matter how much it was killing me. Right. Not that I wanted to minimize by any means that story that you told me about the customer so yeah. was there any retribution for that customer? And did No you... unfortunately I did not work for a very great company and I will not mention them but uh, they decided to say that um, if I took it to the newspapers or anything they would vouch that they did not see anything. Wow and were you able to get any counseling or you know, you'd have some sort of post-traumatic stress, I would imagine. I from did. That, as well as uh, the physical injuries. I did, uh, but I did not go for counselling or anything. So I'm actually really only been dealing with that and going for counselling and stuff with that um, throughout the past three years. It's a terrible story to hear. Just amazing. My name is Megan O'Hara Sullivan. We're in Big Little Small Talk and we're talking to Dom Tullican, who is a disability dance teacher and he's telling me about how he came to have this dance studio. Um, so you went from being a marketer and when, yeah. at what point in this um, trajectory did we do an education degree? Uh, so after I um, left New South Wales, I was, I moved to Brisbane, uh, I moved to Toowoomba first and because uh, my sister's my world so my little sister's back in, was back in Toowoomba and um, so I moved back to Toowoomba but at the time I was like uh, I don't know if Toowoomba is the place for me and so I moved back to uh, Brisbane uh, well moved to Brisbane and I was doing the same marketing job down in Brisbane because I went to the company and the boss knew I, the other boss knew I was a salesperson in and the, one of the top uh, sales teams in uh, New South Wales so he just gave me the job straight away and I decided that I wanted to do more so I thought maybe education is the way to go I said because I really enjoyed working with kids and that so I thought maybe education is the way they can go because I can make enough money working three days a week working at marketing and then I can study my education degree as well so I started studying education um, but I was really really enjoying it I did really 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 well at it as well I was offered scholarships to go overseas I was meant to be going to Singapore um, I didn't even realize that uh, they were very surprised that a person with severe ADHD could do so so well at the university I went to the one here at USQ and um, I thoroughly enjoyed what I was doing um, and I actually help my friends that are studying it now um, and um, I got about halfway through my um, degree uh, 
and then I had more strokes. Uh, I think it was when I had my next three strokes in a row and unfortunately with those ones I ended up uh, it left me paralyzed from the shoulders down um, and unable to talk and uh, after that my neurologist because I was seeing uh, a new one down in Brisbane Dr. Alex Len he's at the Marta Neuroscience Center and he's amazing and I saw him and he just said to me I really don't see there being a chance of you recovering he said firstly you were misdiagnosed with a functional neurological disorder for the last eight or more years and he said with that being said um, there doesn't look like a chance of recovery from that the chances of you be recovering from being paralyzed are slim to min no chance at all and the chances of you getting your speech back I don't know now before that I had already with any other mini stroke that I had I ended up with stutters for um, one and a half years and a thick tongue speech for one and a half years as well so I had already gone through all of that uh, so at this point you're unable to speak at all yeah I can't imagine what that must be like and I was paralyzed from the shoulders down right. and who's looking after you at this stage so my mum was looking after me and my little sister was looking after me because I didn't have NDIS and also unfortunately um, someone in uh, uh, Centrelink had said that I'd gotten sick before I moved to Australia instead of I'd gotten sick when I moved to Australia so I was living off the wrong you know thing so I should have been living off the pension but I was living off the new start allowance oh my god it's just the dealing with the system and the so you what really got you to a point of being paralyzed and unable to speak to now you've walked in here I know your wheelchairs just across the road in the in the car but how did you make that how, how are you getting better Dom so um, I am very resilient <laughs> and I don't believe in giving up I also I will thank my mom for this um, my mom at one point when I was sick um, a lot of people think this is like hard talk but she came into my room one day and she was just like you need to get yourself together and just think about like what you're going to do with your life you know even if you just make a list and just go from there she's like you can't just sit here and just not do anything with your life and that was kind of the kick in the butt that I needed and it's always been the kick in the butt that I need and a lot of people think that's hard talk I don't know if that's a South African way but I like it and I needed it and it's gotten me pretty far I think I've probably taken it further than my mom would have liked it uh, because now I do things that she's just like I don't want you doing that and I'm just like well I'm doing it um, but uh, even with the studio she's just like oh I think you're taking on too much and I'm just like I really don't mind so but um, also I was very very fortunate that um, we were buying equipment off uh, Chinese equipment off this lady um, uh, in Brisbane so there's things called uh, a Qi machine which realigns your nervous system and your uh, spinal column and my aunt in the UK got us in touch with her because my aunt has one of these so we were literally trying anything at that point uh, I got a bit of my speech back it was quite slurry and because I was just trying anything to try and get my mouth working and then I was paralyzed from the left side of my body and the waist down so I only had one working hand and I was at home by myself uh, what because my mom had to go to work my sister had to go to school 
So I was learning how to look after myself with one hand and move a wheelchair with one hand, clean the house with one hand, shower, cook. It was actually, I'm quite, when I look back at it, I'm just like, I'm really impressed for what I was able to do with just one hand. Um, because the left hand was completely stroke hand shut and we actually had to like force things in it because it was just completely shut closed. So yeah, no, we met this lady and this Chinese lady said to us, her name's Serene and she's just beautiful. And she said to us, I know a Chinese doctor down here in Sunnybank and his name's Simon and I see him for my migraines. But I'm pretty certain he does therapy to help paralyzed people walk. So we were like, we're willing to try anything. So I went to go see him and we went down three Fridays in a row. And on the third Friday, so what he does is he does skull acupuncture and he puts the needles into your head and then he wiggles them and he moves them around to activate the nerves in your brain and he puts them in your legs as well and he wiggles them and your arms and everything wherever the problems are and he stimulates the nerves to activate them. Now it sounds really painful probably to someone else it's painful to me I fall asleep because I find it so stimulating and then he gives you Chinese herbs to also help with whatever the problem is his medication is the only medication that now stops me having so many strokes. And um, he, what's it? So he, on the third session, he, um, I, I felt tingling in my toes and some twitching, but I didn't say anything. And I got in the car and I was just looking at my mom and I went, I can feel some twitching and tingling in my toes. My mom's like, did you tell Simon? And I was just like, no. And she's like, stop. <laughs> like, you should have told him. So we went down the following Friday and we saw him. On, and I said, I felt twitching and tingling in my toes. And he's like, why didn't you tell me I could have moved the needles even more? So he started from there. And then I slowly started getting more twitching sensation. And then slowly got more movement in my left arm. And the hand started to release itself. And now from here, there, whenever my health declines, he fixes me. Um, a week and a half ago, I had a mini stroke in my sleep and I didn't realize it. And my, um, I call her my adopted mom, but she's also one of my independent carers. And she looked at me and she said, your whole left side of your face has drooped. And I said, I didn't take notice of that when I was getting ready in the morning and I looked and I was swollen and I drooped down and I hadn't seen Simon because I'd put my business before therapy and uh, I was like uh oh I think I've had a, uh, one of my strokes in my sleep so I went to go see Simon last uh, yeah last weekend or the weekend before that and uh, he did all his magic he's increased my medication I was also having severe abdominal dystonia gave me all my medication and I've been so much better. So Dom, when you um, see conventional neurologists and things and you say that you're seeing Simon, what's the reaction? So at first it, uh, it was strange looks and it was just like kind of how does his therapy, you know, beat our therapy? And even like when I go into hospital for having strokes, they try and stop me from taking his medication until I have another one in the hospital. And then they like, no, 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 yeah, give him his medication, give him the medication. They're like, we're not stopping this. They're like, whatever's in this is stopping him from having the strokes and all the health problems. So they're like, just give him the medication. They're like, we don't know what is in his medic because they like they start asking him, break down what's in your herbs because it's just like a little bag that looks like a bunch of bark grounded <laughs> up, and it smells like that. It's just got like a whole bunch of like, like herby smells and stuff, but it looks like bark, and so they look at it very strangely, and uh, they like they want this breakdown of it and everything. So Simon's trying to do like a breakdown and everything. 
and then when I start having like bad reactions in the hospital because they've taken me off it uh they just like nope the doctor said give him give him give him the medication give him the medication because whatever's in that is helping him and we whatever we're giving him is not is is um there a fear dom that this the strokes will get more severe and that you might you know not wake up from one of them there is a a possibility of that uh but my thing is living in the moment uh, I know my dystonia can get quite severe. Um, uh, I was quite distorted and I looked like a cerebral palsy patient for quite a number of years. Had no strength in that. So what we're aiming to do is build my body up as strong as possible. And uh, hopefully my body won't relapse too badly when it does relapse. I relapsed uh, last year. So my health relapses very quickly which is why a lot of people will see me like kind of walking for a little while and then for like 10 11 months they'll see me in a wheelchair because of the gene and because of my dystonia and my functional neurological disorder and just every other health problem that i have my health just will automatically relapse and that's what my neurologist said i'll never reach remission I will just continuously relapse throughout my life. So for me, it's just live in the moment, have the best time possible in that moment. And then if I relapse, I relapse and that's it. I'll just remind the listeners that you're with me, Megan O'Hara Sullivan, and we're on Big Little Small Talk. We're talking to Dom Tullican, who is a disability dance teacher. Tell me about the kids, some of the kids that you have at the, the dance school. Oh. How do you, um, if, if, able-bodied or other people normal shall we say normal in inverted commas want to kids come like is it how do you how do you restrict that or yeah so everyone is welcome we we welcome all abilities and at the moment I'm even because I've come out as being trans um, I'm actually getting kids coming out as being non-binary and everything and that and um, so I'm actually getting parents bringing the non-binary kids. Yes, they have disabilities, but like they're going, hey, don't my kids like non-binary or possibly trans? And you know, we might need your help through this. And I'm just, or oh, what is a binder? <laughs> and I'm just like, I'll buy the binder. I know where to get cheap ones. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, hang on. I, I, I needed catching up there, um, let alone um, some of the listeners. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about your trans, transitioning in a minute. Yeah. But just uh, talk about the, the what the kids do in the dance classes and stuff. So we've got, well, I teach not just at the studio now. I'm getting hired out to teach everywhere. But if we're teaching, talking about just the studio kids, we have a range of kids. And so the junior class is literally just autistic kids, which if you speak to Kieran, my teacher's assistant, her eyes would probably pop out of her head because the more kids that join, the bigger her eyes get because they are noisy, they are crazy, they run wild. And I love it. Um, Does it kind of remind you of yourself at that age? Uh, probably. Probably. I th- I, my sister's pretty certain that I'm misdiagnosed with autism as well. Um, so I'm actually in the process of getting uh, looked at for the, uh, autism uh, through the gender clinic. Um, but, you know, I, I love it. They run up to me, they tug on my dreadlocks, and I'm just like, that is actual hair that is attached to me and then they're like ha ha and then they run uh we have so how do you corral like with a class like that say lots of kids with autism like how do you how do you corral them you have to just be as fun and outgoing as them but then at the same time be like okay one two three four five in your line and like they listen uh and then like you'll be they bring their squishy toys and you go Oh, can I have a look at your squishy toy? Oh, your squishy toy wants to play with Dom. And then they just look at you and they go, Ah! Oh. <laughs> explain why they would have the squishy toy. So their squishy toys are there as a comfort. And I allow them to bring their squishies. 
allow them to ring their squishies or anything that brings comfort, um, protection, whatever is something that makes them feel safe, I will allow them to bring it. Now a lot of studios would not allow that because they believe that that is a distraction. To me that's not a distraction, it is something that brings them comfort, makes them feel safe, makes them feel happy. And But it can't be a distraction, so all you got to do is, hey, can I just have a look at that squishy? Can Dom have a cuddle with that squishy? Oh, it's a nice squishy. Oh, yeah, it's going to chill with Dom for a bit. And then they look, look at you and they're like, oh, Dom. And I'm just like, you want to get back into the line and then I'll give you your squishy back. And they're like, okay. This is a conversation I don't think I was ever going to have about or, <laughs> about the squishies. So <laughs> with the with your troupe, I, I've seen you performing like at yeah. the Languages and Cultural Festival and different things. Oh, yeah. it's grown. So yeah, it has yeah, grown. Yeah. And I know that you're up for three awards in the Disability disability business awards yes. which is amazing isn't it yeah. oh yeah we're looking forward to that yeah so you your business is just growing and growing and now you just opened a whole other door that we're going to walk through yes. that you are transitioning yes now i know that um there's questions that are quite insensitive to ask someone whether they're transitioning i'm an open book one of them <laughs> don't ask questions about our gender post um post transition oh, i'm a i'm an open book you can ask me whatever you want <laughs> i i have i have nothing to hide so tell me about the transitioning um when do, when do you think that you when did you actually start transitioning and what is what is the start of the process is it when you start taking hormones is it when you start identifying as a different so i i knew 8 years ago i knew 8 years ago but I didn't come out. Um, I didn't come out. Uh, I, I tested the waters first to figure out what, or not what, but who I truly was. And also because it was tricky waters with how I grew up. Uh, South Africa don't, the way we grew up, we barely knew gays. Um, I was the first to come out as gay in my community. And I did that here in Australia. And to this day, I've lost so many friends. Uh, other people now have come out as gay and they accepted. But for me, because I was the first, I've lost a whole bunch of people in my life. Um, and I was hated for a lot. Um, so yeah, South Africa, and it's very, very weird because gay marriage was accepted in about 1992 in South Africa. But we didn't know anything about it and we didn't know trans so when I came here to Australia and the thing was I knew I was different like I've always known I was different what, what, in what way so I was always boyish I always wanted my shirt off I always wanted to run with the boys I always did all the boy things I was more boyish than my brother um, I did all the like car stuff the skateboarding the surfing you know I knew I liked girls um, and the thing was like I came to Australia and I got put into an all-girls school and I was like oh, I like this idea <laughs> this was a good idea in a candy shop, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I was like thank you um, and I got tested the waters about being gay and that but I took five years to come out of being gay my sister was the first person to know she was six she had kept that secret for me for five years um, came out to my family, it didn't go well. Um, it was very weird though because when my cousin came out it was all fine, but when I came out it was not. Um, and uh, when, when, When's the, the period where you're going to go that little bit, that you know, and obviously not all gay people want to transition, so what, 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 when, what's that like? So for me, um, I was with a partner and I was just like, I like, at first I had long hair and I was getting tired of the fact of people going, I love your beautiful long hair, I love your beautiful long hair. So I, shut, I cut my all my hair off and I was loving it. Um, and then 
I was just like starting to dress more boyish and more masculine and that and I love that as well and I just sat down with like I had just learned about trance because my friend had a trans friend my partner had a trans friend so I just learned about trance and the more I was learning about it and that the more I could see myself as that but I didn't want to rush into it but I, I sat with my partner and I said to them I think I'm trans but a part of me still kind of likes to be feminine and I was just like but I don't want to rush into this and that was eight years ago and we found the term online at first gender fluid and so I was like okay I'll test out the water's gender fluid and I didn't tell my mom dad any of this uh, they just thought I liked to dress boyish and girlish I was too scared to tell any of them that my little sister knew everything and I would always speak to openly up to my sister about gender my sister's very loving very very supportive my sister was greatest oh most beautiful kid you could ever ask for um, and then I was just like got to the point last year I met another friend uh, Abby and she's trans and I just I, I had this conversation with her and I was just like I was very open and I was just like I don't think I'm gender fluid I said if I have to be completely honest with myself I'd be leaning a lot more towards being trans I said but I'm way too scared to come out I said with the way I was brought up and with the family I'm in it's too scary to like even think about that and my mom was supportive of Abby so I thought it would be reciprocated for me so in September last year I sat down and I told a few friends and the friends were supportive apparently they were running to each other and being like Dom's come out as a trans man um, and so I tried to sit down with my mom and tell my mom my mom was just like I'll love you nonetheless so I was like okay that's good my younger sister was like oh yeah Ah, uh, that you like pretty much she knew so she was just like I love you anyway she like she's always been like that she's like no matter what I love you anyway because I had already been like talking to her about like I don't really feel like this I feel more like this and she's like you just need to figure it out you know so I always had someone to like talk to about this stuff um, and then the start of this year literally <laughs> on the 1st of January I just put a photo up and said, Hi everyone, my name's Dom Tolikin and I'm a trans man. Because, uh, I mean, to be fair, um, I met you before you started transitioning. Yes, you did. And, you know, very pretty, you know. Yeah. <laughs> very, very pretty. Yes, and, and I like, and I can acknowledge that. Like, I was a very pretty girl. And I can see that and I can see why it's hard for some people to wrap their heads around it but at the same time I was doing that to make other people feel secure and I was doing that to make other people happy but I wasn't truly happy and like if I see myself now I feel so much more myself uh, I feel so much more happier if other people see like photos of me and see me smiling and that they're like you actually look genuinely happy mm. in those photos. So when did you decide to start taking testosterone? So I, uh, I was going through the gender clinic and they said, look, Dom, like if you go through us, um, it's going to be a process, like a very, very long process. And um, you could probably only get onto your hormones probably by the age you're like, 33 and a half and I'm 32 and I was like that's too long for me like I, I want to start my journey now I can't wait like I don't want to wait like I know who I am I chat to my friends I chat to my carers I know who I am you know like I've been doing the right things and I chat to my GP every day and that's what I, I want people to know like a lot of people are like 
he started this journey so quickly, like, it doesn't seem right. And I want people to know, you have to know who you are before you do this. You can't just rush into it. It's not like a rush situation. You have to make sure you're talking to your friends. You're in the right mindset. You're talking to family. You're in the right mindset. You're talking to other people. And you're talking to your GP. And that's what I was doing every week before mm -hmm. I actually started on the hormones. And then when I got to the gender clinic, they gave me a list of um, what's it, uh, doctors and physicians uh, that I could go through outside of the gender clinic. And there was one called Stonewall Medical Center. So I phoned them and they said, we can get you in within the next, I think it was six weeks. And I was just like, yes. <laughs> so uh, I got in and they ask you just the same thing. A lot of questions. And I mean questions of what you were like as a kid when you were younger. How were you as a kid? And like, and it's very in depth. Mm. Did you worry about um, taking the testosterone with your medical condition? And so, did you check with Simon? What Simon thought? Yeah, uh, so no. I was too afraid to tell Simon. I love Simon, but I was just like, he's a Chinese doctor and I'm terrified of telling him. So I was so terrified of telling Simon, but I spoke to my neurologist and I spoke to my GP and both of them said that they're going to keep an eye on me and they actually had a funny feeling that the testosterone actually might help some of my neurological conditions. They had this feeling that in some way the testosterone actually might help me because it might actually be a, a hormone that was needed in my body this oh, entire time. I, I, um, like a muscle strengthener. Yeah. Listen, I'm running out of time, but what I do want to just get your perspective, do you think people treat you differently as a man? I think I... Do you feel like you've seen life from both sides now? I think I have, um, but like not in a bad way. Like uh, I... My friends are de like definitely like you are definitely more masculine now and like we don't see the feminine part of things and that, but like I'm definitely getting treated in a very respectful manner and everything. I just mean um, once I heard about a fellow who transitioned to being a woman and he couldn't believe how disrespected he was as a woman. Like I just wonder whether you no, are around I, men who don't know that you've transitioned and they're sort of being disrespectful to women or anything No, like no, I haven't had any of that um, mm. lately and I think if I ever were to have that, I'd definitely stand up for the woman in that because like... I have so many strong, amazing women in my life. Like I have all the women like and friends and my sister and things like that. Like most of my friends and most of the women that support me and like people that are around me in this community are women. Uh, and like I've got like Maud and Jen and people like that. Like they are all strong, amazing women. And uh, I think if anyone were to disrespect woman in front of me, I would be like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so now you did say before, you know, that you're, you're just living every day as it comes. I did have some questions to ask you, but unfortunately I've run out of time. But I will ask you this one. If you could do anything illegal without getting caught, what would you do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from South Africa. <laughs> um, look, I... I really don't know. Just uh, in terms of living every day, you know. I have done so many things that I, like, I, I was a little bit of a mischief maker. Uh, we used to jump off br train bridges and everything in South Africa. So, and we got up to a lot of mischief and our parents just let us run wild in the, the safest way possible, I think. 
Um, but if I had words to do anything illegal. I know that uh, I saw your question about the doing uh, the three most uh, things on your bucket list. Yeah. And uh, I've already done three of them. And I've flown a plane so far. I've gotten my motorbike license and I've gone wakeboarding. All things that I probably shouldn't have done whilst being disabled. Right. <laughs> and transitioning wasn't on your bucket list or was it just an overarching thing? It yeah. was probably just the thing that I've always needed to do. So it wasn't on my bucket list. But mm-hmm. I, I've still got so many other things that I want to do on my bucket list just because of the fact that I live every day as it comes. As it comes. So I've got so many things that I just want to keep doing because even though my like trainers and that are like you're not ready and I'm just like I need to keep living because I don't know where my health is going to take me sure. so yeah right. I go from now there. royals I don't know about the South Africans whether they um they're into royals but who's your favorite royal Dom look I had to think about this because we're not necessarily into royals. But if I had to go with a royal, I think I'd have to go with Prince uh, Harry. And I think it's probably because of the fact that he's just so... He takes life, like he faces his family uh, and he just goes against them and does lives his life the way he wants to. Um, he's, you know, carefree and everything. He's supportive of everyone, and I I really admire him and Meghan Markle the way they live their lives and that. So, I think if I had to go with someone, it might have to be him. No, I don't think I've asked anyone more appropriate this question. What's the song that can't keep you off the dance floor? At the moment, it has to be the two songs that I am teaching my kids to dance to, and they're gonna sound ridiculous. One is the Sweet Little Bumblebee song because the junior kids are dancing to the Sweet Bumblebee song and you'll see that at the International Street Fiesta and you're going to love the dance they're doing but like it is in my head, like embedded in my head. And uh, the other one is going to take you guys by surprise but um, the senior kids are dancing to Cloud Nine by Baker Boy and uh, it's an Aboriginal song and we are very very uh, keen to show you guys what we got but it's uh, a very new style uh, that the senior class will be doing we've got like kind of like a a whole um, hip-hop crew sort of look going we've got some break dancing thrown into it and everything so you're gonna have like disabled kids doing break dancing and crumping and wave dancing and like a whole bunch of fun stuff and I mean like they've worked super hard on this dance so we can't wait to show it all. And that will all be at the International Street Fiesta. Yeah, oh, the senior class is performing three dances and the juniors are performing their first ever dance. Well Dom, I will look forward to, to that. Dom, thank you for sharing your journey with me today. It's just been a real pleasure to have you on Big Little Small Talk and um, good luck for the future. I think the, the future is bright. It's it, Big things will happen for you, for sure. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. It's been great have, being here with you. Thank you. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me on Big Little Small Talk. I hope you can make the time to join me next week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favourite podcast app.